Uh, if you're visiting today, we are looking at the book of Romans. Uh, it is Paul's definitive statement about the gospel of Jesus Christ and why uh, he should be believed upon and why he should be preached. Today we come to Romans 6. It should be a, a passage of great encouragement to us who know Christ and are trying to understand uh, what it means to live the Christian life. How do we carry it out? And uh, so follow with me uh, in Romans chapter 6. We'll read the first uh, 14 verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By, mo- by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, to those who have been brought back from from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're no longer under law, but grace. We believe this is God's holy and errant word. Let's pray together for the preaching and the hearing of his word. Father, this text is rich. We could preach a year on these verses. So, Lord, we ask uh, that as we look at this text that your Holy Spirit would cause us to understand how the gospel, our union with Christ, uh, so transforms us that it enables us to live a life of freedom in Christ, a life of righteousness, a life of joy and mercy, a life bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit where we love and we're joyful, and we're kind, and we're long-suffering and patient. 
Father, there's no way we can work ourselves into this, even if we've been Christians for 30 or 40 years. It is our understanding of the gospel by faith. And so, Lord, where we have forgotten the gospel and either become legalist and bring misery to others or we become antinomian and lawless and say, why not sin that grace might abound? Lord, would you cause us once again to see Christ crucified for us and raised so that we might be dear brothers and sisters to one another and sought in light to a world that is in desperate need of you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I know I give a lot of athletic illustrations. Here we go again. Uh, In athletics, uh, a very important factor in competition is what is known as the Big Mo, thus your title of the sermon. And the Big Mo is momentum. It's something that happens uh, somewhere during the game uh, that when it happens, the coaches know it, the players know it, the fans know it. And usually what happens is perhaps a team is behind. I like uh, University of South Carolina was yesterday by 23 points with 11 minutes to go. <clears throat> but I don't like sports that much. Uh, so the team is behind. And then all of a sudden there is this event. There's something that happens within, within the game. Maybe, it is a, uh, maybe it's a fumble. Maybe it's a block punt. Maybe it's an interception. Maybe it's a, a slam dunk on the end of a 10-0 run. And all of a sudden the momentum changes. And everybody knows it. And the team that's behind, that has the mo, though it's behind, begins to build confidence that it's going to win. And the team that has been ahead, the team that has had all the advantages, all of a sudden begins to play safe and play not to lose. While one team starts playing like winners, Though presently in a place of seeming defeat, the other team begins to play cautiously, hoping the clock will run out. Well, this is exactly what our text is about. What Paul has told us in chapter 5 is that through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have been transferred from Adam... And we have been placed in Christ. And what Christ has done through his death and resurrection is the great cosmic game changer. It's changed everything. All is being made new. The long winter days are now getting shorter and the spring is coming. Christ is risen. And uh, so we live in the hope of the game changer, the, this mac, the macro reality of the resurrection of Christ and his second coming. But what should be happening or what has happened at the macro level? Paul is telling us in our text should be taking place at the micro level. That we too, who are in Christ... Death and misery and sin no longer reigns. But grace and mercy 
and the resurrection. We're to live in the confidence that since Christ has defeated the penalty of sin and its curse upon us, He is trying to tell us today that so has the power of sin been broken. Now, how many of us really get this? Right? You're going to try harder. You're going to be better. Are you going to be more miserable? You're going to go, well, you know what? I've, I've lost my opportunity to serve Christ. No, you haven't. You've forgotten the gospel. And, and the last thing I want to do in any text is to beat you up. The law does that. The law can never bring life. It can never bring hope. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can, can bring hope. Should we preach the law? Absolutely. But you preach the law to kill. You don't make it a manageable burden. The law is to point us to the great game changer. The one who's changed everything. But that power is to begin to invade our lives. So before I proceed, let me, uh, let me ask you this question. That's an important question. Is the big mo on your side? Is the momentum changed in your life where though it seems as though we're defeated, though it seems as though there's oppression where our sin overwhelms us, that we begin to see the realities of the resurrection of Christ and we're using the means of grace, we're fellowshipping with other believers, we're together when we pray, we're together when we read the scriptures to hear the preaching of the word and there is this momentum that beginning, is beginning to to reign, uh, move you toward the reign of Christ and grace. The, hey, the reign of grace, how about that? Is that happening? Is there joy in your life? Are people seeing that in our lives? You know, a lot of us, we go to church and we really want our marriages to change and I pray, pray to God that our marriages change. But you know, has the mo, the big mo happened in your life in such a way that you have already decided if my marriage never changes... I'm united to Christ. I can grow in Him. Is that what people see in our lives? Do they see antinomianism, which means lawless antinomus against the law? Are they seeing that? And that you're basically trying to ask the question, how far is too far? Or on the other hand, are they seeing a legalistic person who's tried for very hard to be a good Christian, you've tithed and you've done what you should do, but it seems like you're not getting the blessing. And so you're angry and you're frustrated. This text is the key to understanding it's neither legalism or antinomianism, but it's life in Christ. So here's what I want us to see this morning. That those who are truly united to Christ in his death 2,000 years ago, are also united in his resurrection. You see, the union with Christ not only means that death and sin has no more hold on you, it also means that there really is a power that the law cannot bring, a power that discipleship programs cannot bring, a power that campus ministries cannot bring, a power that an understanding Reformed theology cannot bring, only an understanding of the gospel as the Holy Spirit makes it alive to us. So this is what I want to talk about. Now, if you're just visiting for the first time, this all might be like, whoa, because, I've, because we're going to talk about how grace is to transform. 
So I have to give it a little bit of a context for you who are visiting today. And I'll be brief about this. But here's what the Apostle Paul has said so far in the first five chapters. He's basically said this whole world is about performance. Everything you do in life, how hard you work, the education you get, how hard you study, uh, how well you invest, you're rewarded for that. And those who uh, don't work hard, those who screw their lives up, they're not blessed. And, and therefore, when it comes to knowing God and, and being blessed of God, then our whole lives, uh, the, the, the religions of this world are, are based on what you do, how you perform. And what Paul comes in and he says is that none of that's true. There's none righteous, no, not one. None of you this morning seek after God. And I'm telling you this, even as Christians, if it were not for the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to move and push in your life, you'd move away. So there's none righteous, there's none who seeks after God. And then he says that God gave the law as a schoolmaster to point us to Christ. To show us that there's nothing that we can do. And so, but he promises, but now there's a righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. Christ, as we see in Romans 5, is the second Adam. That in Christ, all were united, in Adam, all were united to him. Adam's already chosen for you, and you're already dead in your sin. So no matter what performance from a religious side you do, means nothing because you're already dead. But the gospel is this that Christ has transferred those who are believers in Jesus Christ from Adam to Christ because Christ came and did what needed to be done. He has loved his Father and he has loved everyone perfectly for 33 years. He always had a quiet time and when he did, he actually wanted to do it. And... He transfers that over into our account and the sins of his people whom he died for 2,000 years ago that was imputed to Christ. Now friends, I got to tell you this, that this is what the grace of God is all about. Now, the, the Jews understood what Paul was saying. They understood that Paul was saying that it has nothing to do with you You are chosen in Christ. You're adopted. And therefore, the logical question is this, is it not? Well, if Christ has already done it all, why don't we just sin? The grace might abound. If where where the law comes, sin is increased, but where sin increases, grace all the more abounds, then why not let's just sin that grace might increase? And so Paul is addressing this issue. And I think it's an important issue because I think all of us, even the most earnest of us, have often abused the grace of God and the work of Christ, all of us. Now, for some of you, you might be going, well, it's still noise to me. Well, I want you to understand that until you get the work of Christ on your behalf, it's going to be noise. But for us who are believers in Christ, we got to start thinking through, you know, how can we who've been chosen of God, elect Christ substituting for us, 
How can we live any longer in sin? And of course Paul starts off by saying, God forbid. So, Paul answers this charge this way. Here's three things I want us to look at. Number one, he reminds us again of the gospel. The indicatives. Uh, how do you answer this charge? Well, you've got to be reminded of the, of the gospel. The gospel is obviously, you, you're still not getting it. So he talks about the gospel again. He does that in the first 11 verses. And then secondly, he gives us uh, what we call the imperatives. Finally, the commands that come that flow from the indicatives. That flow out of the gospel. And you know what's amazing? Just two verses. Or three verses. 12, 12 13, and 14. And then he, gives, he reminds us who are believers in Christ, of the ultimate end of those who live out the gospel, who are living it out, who the momentum's happening, and you're becoming more and more like Christ. You're, you're becoming more and more detached from this world. And every Sunday you come to church, you know, you're thinking, man, I'm closer. I'm one, I'm one week closer to meeting my Lord and Savior. I'm one week closer to putting off this body of sin. I'm one week closer to where I don't have to sin against my Lord. So here's the first thing to see is this. He reminds us once again of the gospel. Here's his answer to this charge. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might, might, may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So how does Paul begin to answer this charge of let's sin that grace might abound? You know how he answers it? <laughs> by giving the gospel again. Uh, you know, often people say, well, wh why, do we, why are we always uh, preaching? Why are we always preaching the gospel? Well, what else is there to preach? We have to constantly be reminded of the gospel because you know after you've heard it week after week after week, the love of God for you and Jesus Christ is still not sometimes penetrating to the very depths of our being in such a way that we're different at work. We're different in how we do our studies. We're different in how we do our business. We're different in how we have our relationships. And our marriages are the same place 10 years later. And we ask, well, why do we preach the gospel? Paul is once again reminding us and answering this charge, well, let's sin that grace might abound, by pointing again to what we call the indicatives. And there's a bunch of them in here. But let me explain what an indicative is. I'm going to give you two in just a minute. There's tons in here. I could preach on this forever, okay? But don't have forever. Well, I do have forever, but we won't need to preach in heaven, I guess. But anyhow, um, what is an indicative? An, an, an indicative is, the indicative mode is the thing as it is. It's not an imperative. That's a command. So Paul doesn't start off when they say, well, let's send that grace might abound. He doesn't start off by going, no, here's what you need to be doing. He goes back to the indicative. He, he's trying to go, no, 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 no. You don't understand that when you were united to Christ and united in his death, burial, and resurrection, you became something. You were united to him. Let me put it this way. Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus does not say, be light of the world, does he? He doesn't use an imperative. He doesn't use, be the salt of the earth, be a preservative, be taste, tasteful. <laughs> he uses the indicative, that's what you are. When you're united to Christ, that is what you become. Something happens and you become one with him. This morning, I rose early. I always do on Sunday morning. Governates, pray, get ready. It was cold. I went out to, to, uh, to get some wood. Now, that wood used to be somewhat useful. It was part of a tree, and it had life. It was united to the roots and united to the soils. And it was united to the water that fed it. And, uh, and uh, as it grew, it began to, to bear fruit or leaves to, to produce shade. But now it's just sitting out in my yard, cut up. But I was cold this morning. And I went and I took that piece of dead wood that had no fruit. And I came to my fireplace and I stuck it into my fireplace. And then I cut the little gas on there. And then I hit that little match thing. Poof. And all of a sudden, that dead wood became something different. It changed its chemical nature. And it began to be consumed because it was one with the fire. And if I were to take my little grandchildren and say, what do you see there in the fireplace? They would not say, dead wood. They would say, fire. And what can you tell me about that fire? Well, it brings light and it brings warmth. It brings comfort. This is exactly what he's saying. If you're united to Christ... You've become a piece of dead wood put upon the fireplace and going to stay dead wood unless there is an external thing that happens. And that is the Holy Spirit who unites true believers to Christ in two things. I could give you more, but two indignities. One, in his death. And what's interesting here is when Paul says that you're united to Christ, and because you're united to him, when he died, you died. And he doesn't say he died for sin. Plenty of places it says that. But he says he died to sin. Now, I, now I'm going to maybe blow your minds a little bit, but I believe this. I believe that Christ died for somebody's sins. This is why we as Reformed people believe in Election. And this is very important for me to say this because predestination that everybody has a belief on, okay? Everybody has, and if you're visiting for the first time, well, here we go. <laughs> it is the gospel. And here's what you need to understand. If your life is not changing, if you're not growing in a love for Jesus Christ and a love for his people, then maybe your sins were not taken off you and placed onto Christ. Because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning of the world, both Old Testament, New Testament saints, all their sins were yanked off them. David sinned with Bathsheba. Moses' unbelief in striking the rock and killing the Egyptians. And Paul murdering, having Stephen murdered. All those sins are yanked off them and placed onto Christ. And when he died, if you're in Christ... You died to sin. It has no more power over you. 
You believe that? Man, if I didn't believe that, I could not get in this pulpit. I'm not up here preaching on Sunday morning because I am living unto God and getting better and better and better. No, I'm understanding more and more why I need to preach to you what I need to preach to myself. That I'm united to Christ. And sin has no more power over you. And it's really interesting that Paul speaks here of the old man being crucified so that the body of sin might be done away with. What is he talking about, the old man? The how Farnsworth before I met Christ is now dead. And I'm a new man. And if you're a believer, you're a new man. The old self has been crucified. The new has come. I have a new identity so that my body of sin might be done away with. There is still sin in my members. I'm still a guy. I, I'm, I still want more money. I still worry. I still don't believe the gospel as I should. I still struggle with these things. But you know what? I'm beginning to understand as I have been a Christian for a long time that I'm united to Christ in His death and resurrection. Has that happened to you? I mean, seriously. Uh, is, is, is the gospel amazing to you fairly regularly? Now, again, you can't make yourself go, well, I need to just try to be, be more that way. No, Paul is saying, remember the indicatives. The light is the light. But you need to ask this question so that you might get to a point, if you don't know Christ, that you begin to see your sin, that you're dead, and there is no light in you. Secondly, uh, he reminds us uh, of the indicative that we, we, we're, we're united to Christ. And I won't, I won't belabor this because I've kind of already alluded to it. Not only did you die, this is, this is why you shouldn't live a life of sin, but you're united to his resurrection. Martin Luther put it this way, your, your righteousness sits at the right hand of God. And you're united to that righteousness because God chose you to adopt you and has given you the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you're completely righteous. But not only are you righteous because of his resurrection, but friends, you have power because of his resurrection. Listen, a lot of people believe this. Well, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's God. I believe he's man. I believe he's a God-man. I believe that he came and he died for sins. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he was raised from the dead. But it has no net effect. Because there's this idea that being a Christian is believing the right things. And how do you know if maybe you're believing the right things but you're not a Christian? There's no power in your life. There's no interest in talking to people about Christ. Seriously, how can we not want people to know Jesus if you're united to Jesus? You might say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, that's fine. I don't think many people are, but you can talk to people, to God about people. You can come to prayer meeting on Wednesday morning and join us. We're praying for people. But you see, doesn't this, and again, I'm not, I'm trying to use logic here. I'm not trying to go, hey, if you need to love God more. You just can't, you understand, you can't make yourself love God more. But God can be gracious to you to go, you know, I need to figure this out because I need to be different than I am. 
Augustine put it this way, uh, I understand, therefore I believe. And how that impacted Augustine's life was that he, he was a whoremonger. Man, the, the guy loved sex. And he was a, he was a sexual uh, deviant. And then he met Christ. Anyone looking for God. And all of a sudden, the big mo changed, the big game changer. And, uh, and so, Augustine uh, comes to Christ. Not long after that, he met one of his old partners out in the street that he used to, uh, as they say today, shack up with. And as they were walking down the street, she said, Hey, Augustine, it is I. And he didn't say anything to her. And then he passed by her. And then she turned around and yelled at him again, said, Hey, wait, maybe you forgot, it's me. It is I. And Augustine's response was, uh, Yes, but it is no longer I. He's new. He, he, he is united to Christ in his death and resurrection. Secondly, the impurities come out of this. You understand that if you don't get this, you can't have joy. You, you, I mean, I, and again, I want you to understand looking to Christ and resting in him alone brings this gospel. And so what are the impurities? Verse 12. And by the way, first imperative in Romans We've been looking at six chapters, and finally he's going to go, okay, here's an imperative. Isn't that awesome? You need to understand the gospel. You need to look to Christ. It's Christ. Christ is finished. The here's the gospel of good news. And then he finally gives you an imperative. And here it is in verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your, uh, yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, for you are no longer under law but under grace. Do you see that imperative? What does he tell us to do with our members? We still have a body. And I can give my hands to lots of things that I shouldn't. I can give my feet to lots of things. I can give my eyes to lots of things. And what he is saying here is, so now that you're united to Christ, and yes, the old man's dead, and you still have sin in your members, take what you got left here, this new man that still struggles with sin, and offer your body, is that, is that practical, your body, to who? The law? Who's it say? To God. And why will you do that? Why will you offer your life to God? Because you're getting the gospel. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. The law's only going to say, do what you should. And if, are, is the law still good? Of course it is. Let me say this. The law is still good. Uh, but the law cannot bring life. So not, are we, not under law doesn't mean you, you don't keep the law. It says we're now under grace. So where the law, law brings sin and sin abounds, the more the law comes, the more sin comes, the more grace comes. Practical application, what are, you, what are you offering yourself to? If you offer yourself to legalism and self-righteousness, you'll hate your wife, you'll hate your husband, you'll hate me, you'll hate the church, you'll hate God, ultimately. Or if you offer your members and go, well, I'm just addicted to pornography or I'm addicted to this, I'm a, you're just giving over to it. Man, you've forgotten the love of Christ. 
And, and Paul is saying you're no longer under law but under grace. The grace of God should motivate you. Uh, Charles Spurgeon tells a story of a, of a little girl named Millie. And Millie had a father who was a drunken sot, as they said back then. And uh, one day his uh, father, uh, her father woke up and he comes down to, to breakfast. The mother had already died and she had breakfast ready and she tended to his needs. And finally asked her, he said, why are you so good to me? And she said, well, father, my mother, mother told me that I should continue to pray for you because you're hopeless and there's no way you, you'll ever change. You'll never be the father that you want to be. But she told me that I should love you and serve you. And so eventually, her love transformed him. Because he began to be convicted by her love. And, and how could I continue to sin against such love? That's what Paul is saying. Offer yourselves to the one who loves you. I mean, it's one thing to rob a person, right? But what if you had a friend that got you $30,000 out of debt? And he paid it and got you out of debtor's prison. Of course, we don't have that anymore, so we can't relate to it. But he got you out of the hawk. And you can, go get, you can still buy stuff on credit at Belks. How about that? And then the next thing he knows, he's finding you breaking in the back of his house. Stealing stuff. That's, how can we do that? The love of your soul. My soul. One last thing to see is this. Uh, Paul talks about the ultimate end for us and what motivates us. He says, verse 8, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You live for eternity. That becomes more real to you. And you, know, you, care, about what, you, you, you care less and less about what people think about you. And, uh, and you, start, you start living in light of the resurrection of Christ. And what's, what is coming is more real than what's not coming. And you see, when he talks about offering your, instrument, your members to him, let me tell you this, and I'll close on this, because I want you to understand this. Um, suppose Stegman Coliseum has a big basketball coming up, game coming up, playing Kentucky. And it's going to be a full house, but the furnace is broken. And it's freezing cold. It's at nine, 10 degrees outside. And they're bringing everybody in here to try to figure out how to get the, the heat back on. And then there's this maintenance guy. And he, he has a cigarette lighter, okay? He's smoking a cigarette, and he walks down there. And he notices that the pilot light's not on. And so he just takes his... Uh, little um, clicker there, his little cigarette lighter, you know, and poof. And that one old maintenance guy with a cigarette lighter warms thousands of people. I'll tell you about a woman that you've heard about before, and I'm not going to go into the old, old, long story, but Annie Mae Brooks, a black woman who lived in our home for, for 30 years. I thought she was Aunt Jemima because she looked exactly like her. I thought they took her picture and put it on the Aunt Jemima syrup. I'd go in there and think, man, she is so famous. <laughs> Annie Mae was united to Christ. She didn't try to be good. She, wanted, she loved Christ. 
She never had anything. And she suffered most of her life. Black woman, uh, growing up in the 30s and the 40s, 50s, 60s. But Annie Mae, every day, came to our house. And she had joy. And she lived Jesus Christ before me and all my wretched brothers. And we had so many things, and she had nothing. But one thing that we didn't have, she had. She had life. And we had dates. And we had money. And we had some popularity because there were six boys. She had Jesus. And every day she came to work, sixth grade education. Because of her life and living before the Lord in light of eternity. Because that's what she did. She knew she had not gotten a good set of cards dealt to her in the 40s and 50s as a black woman in the South. But she loved Christ. She knew Christ loved her. And because of her life, she lit a fire. And because Annie Mae lived in light of eternity, she's now with Jesus Christ. I believe that God lit my fire, not because I'm a great guy, but because she lived in light of eternity, she loved Christ, she intuitive about this text. She's lighting it up. And her life continues to bring the light of the gospel, not only through me, but through men and women who've come to know Jesus Christ, who continue to minister Christ to others. Now, is that happening in your life? Are you living in light of eternity? Are you one who always upset about your circumstances? Upset about this. And this is not fair. And that's not fair. And my husband doesn't understand me. And my wife doesn't understand me. Listen, I know that's hard. I know that's hard. But that's not the gospel. Don't you want to be free from that? Look to Jesus Christ. He'll save sinners. Are you saved? Are you dead wood? Or does your heart burn when you hear the gospel? Let's pray together. Father, uh, have mercy upon souls this morning. If there are any who are here who have been playing uh, religious, uh, uh, the religious game, Lord, have mercy upon them. Cause them to look to Jesus. Cause them to know that there's no joy in trying hard. Uh, but there's joy in faith given from God to embrace Jesus. Father, forgive all of us for not believing the gospel as we should. But we thank you that we're united to Christ and we're dead to sin. It has no more power. So cause us to give our bodies over to you, the lover of our soul, not to a spouse first, not to a family, not to drugs, not to alcohol, but to you. Would you convert someone this morning, O oh Lord? Would you bring them to Jesus today and have mercy upon their soul? We ask it in your name. Amen.